Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize the growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right, back for another episode, this time with Rashmi Gopinath of, uh, of B Capital Group. You were formerly the managing director at M12, Microsoft's venture fund. You were the head of global BD at Couchbase. I mean, you've, you have a very impressive track record, but today we're here to talk about enterprise software trends and some of the benchmarks you're seeing in the industry. So before we get into that, though, Rashmi, welcome to the show. Thanks, Elias. Really excited to be here and look forward to our discussion today. So, uh, you know, this isn't something that was apparent to me right away, but B Capital Group is essentially the venture wing of BCG. Is that correct? Or am I getting myself all mixed up? Uh, well, not fully accurate. So we're not okay. venture arm for BCG. Uh, BCG is one of our LPs. Got and it. we partner with BCG quite closely, specifically on the go-to-market side for our portfolio companies, but we're a financially independent fund. Got it. Okay. I figured that would be good to clarify, A, for myself, B, for our listeners. So now that we have that out of the way, I'm curious, You know, what is B Capital Group's core focus? And I know we're here to talk about enterprise today. So if you could give the audience just a sense for the type of investments and the type of companies that you're investing in. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Uh, so Capital is primarily a multi-stage uh, venture fund. We have an early stage fund that focuses on seed and series A stage investments. I'm part of the growth team. And so our primary focus on the growth side is uh, series B all the way up until pre-IPO rounds. We look at uh, primarily enterprise software investments. Uh, within enterprise software, uh, we look at both horizontal and vertical sectors. I spend most of my time on the horizontal space. So look at investments across cloud, cyber, DevOps, AI, and SaaS. And then we have expertise across different verticals like healthcare, FinTech, retail, industrials, and such. Um, we have a global presence. So about 30% of our team is based out of Asia uh, between China, Singapore, Indonesia, Vietnam, and India. And the rest of the team is primarily based out of the US between San Francisco, LA, and New York. Our portfolio is fairly global as well. 
Our Asia team does a mix of both enterprise and consumer deals and the US team that looks at US, Europe and Israel mainly focuses on enterprise deals. Uh, for us, the check sizes typically range from about 15 to 20 on the lower end to 80 to 100 on the larger side. We look to lead rounds and co-lead rounds and we've invested, I would say, in about 70 plus portfolio companies between our first and second fund. Very cool. Okay. That's super helpful. So, I mean, diving into just some of the trends you're seeing, what what has stood out to you as the most surprising, just something you weren't expecting to see that has arisen in the last, call it 12 months? I would say COVID was definitely the biggest surprise. <laughs> so when we first uh, were in the initial phases of the pandemic in early March, early April of 2020, I think the first thing that probably everyone assumed was this would be a major shake in the market and it's going to cause um, enterprises to pull back their spends and for startups to not be able to fundraise and public markets would probably see a massive dip. I think it couldn't be further from reality. And we've seen that uh, public markets are at an all-time high. Startup funding is at an all-time high Enterprise buying is at an all-time high. So, in fact, I'm going to steal Satya Nadella's quote here, where he said that digital transformation um, that was expected to to what it would be in two years got accelerated all within two months. And so, a lot of enterprises were trying to figure out how to adapt to the new normal, how to continue uh, selling to their to their customers, and how do you keep business up and growing. And as a result leaned in more heavily on enterprise software to help them become more productive and become more effective. And so across the board, I think SaaS was a huge recipient of all of the tailwinds that came on the enterprise buying cycle, as a lot of companies were switching into cloud-based solutions and cloud-based applications um, to both keep the business growing as well as to keep employees productive. So I would say the um, massive Adoption of SaaS-based technologies and enterprise software was definitely a big surprise. I think cyber was another one where we had anticipated that cybersecurity spend would keep growing. But as a result of all of the employees now working remotely, working from homes and um, internet becoming the new perimeter for the enterprise and how do you keep that perimeter safe? um, And how do you protect your critical applications from breaches and attacks um, became a pretty big challenge for a lot of companies. And so cyber spend and cyber innovation has been at an all-time high as well. So those, I would say, were definitely some of the surprises, but um, in a positive way. And we've seen a lot of our portfolio companies benefit from, from the rapid acceleration in adoption as well. It's so fascinating how that played out. I, I Certainly, we've seen a huge uptick just the busiest we've ever been when it comes to folks coming to us for growth since the pandemic. There was like a brief pause where everybody's trying to figure out what was going on. And then it just the floodgates on demand gen and, and go to market opened. So I'm curious, you know, all of this upswing, uptick, growth, are there any new metrics or benchmarks that you've seen set? Perhaps even, you know, of course, everything's growing, but are there any metrics that you've seen dip or suffer because of such intense rapid growth that now companies are are having to focus on more so than they have in the past? 
Um, it's it's kind of been interesting, and I would say that there are some sectors that are obviously outliers to to what I'm going to share. But I would say previously, uh, growth at all costs seemed to have been more positively rewarded, and I would say now there is definitely a lot more emphasis on scalable and efficient growth. And so going back to the roots on a number of key SaaS metrics that um, we look at is around LTV to CAC, um, is around uh, net retention numbers, is around gross margins. And I think a lot of companies are placing a lot of emphasis on this, like the pitch decks that we see pretty much every enterprise company opens up the deck with, here are growth numbers and here's what net retention and gross margins L3 to CAC looks like. So I think it beca- it's becoming a lot more standard to focus on that efficient growth and not just growth at um, the expense of whatever capital comes in. Um, I would say the other one that has taken up uh, a big focus and uptick in the market is around product-led growth. Um, and a lot of companies are kind of moving away from the big monolithic enterprise sales cycle of it's going to take nine to 12 months to sell into the enterprise into trying to go more of that grassroots bottoms up approach where you're getting that quick land into the enterprise. And we've seen all ranges. It could be as low as 2K. It could be as much as like 15, 20 or 30K. And then you're pretty much like growing within a team, growing within a department, growing within the organization into other parts of the business. And that requires a different sales motion. It's not going to be the typical uh, field sales reps with the one and a half million quota that are trying to call on to the large enterprises. It's how do you get the demand gen and the marketing engine going so that you're creating the awareness of the product and you're driving more of that upswell in the product-led growth machine. Um, and that leads to certain different metrics. So it's not just looking at average ACBs across the board. It's it's more of uh, what are going to be my um, customer acquisition costs? How much am I going to grow and scale? Um, and even on the customer acquisition costs, it's not just the sales comp that, that gets taken into account. It's like, uh, what does the marketing spend look like? How much are the MQLs to SQL conversion rates looking like? Um, so it's it's definitely, I would say, placed a lot of emphasis on um, different approaches on on the sales motion. And the third interesting aspect is on changes in pricing model. And I think companies like Snowflake have done a great job in showing how consumption-based pricing can be an effective pricing model for enterprise software. So again, it's not an annual subscription-based license. Um, Like it's usually a a 200k like base product license and then you sell additional upsells but it's really more around pay as you go which given the um the simplicity of how that works with cloud consumption many enterprises know what they're paying for um and they only pay for what they use and that seems to be working quite well in enterprise software and we've seen like a lot of uh, a lot of demand from our portfolio companies and from other companies and wanting to figure out how can they adapt their pricing model to this consumption or usage-based pricing model. It's always funny to me to think about you know what what drives these shifts or spikes in the market where you know the valley gets very into like PLG, for example, right? It used to be we we're like all about ABM. Everybody's ABM, ABM. And ABM had existed for a long time before you know everybody was coining the term. And now 
PLG, almost the same thing, right? Like product-led growth, if we dissect what it actually is, is caring about user adoption and championing user, user adoption and creating leverage there uh, and, and, and then turning that into a process that can scale without requiring you know, dollar in, dollar out, like traditional demand gen. But now it's PLG and it's, it's become this it's branded thing. So um, I'm curious, this is almost just indulge me for a second, but do you, do you feel like you're seeing companies come to you and pitching where they're taking something that isn't right for PLG and trying to like spin it into like, you know, here's, how we're, here's how we're a PLG company or here's when, you're, when you look at them and you're like, honestly, you're, you're, you're a traditional enterprise SaaS product and they're because of whatever factors, like it, it's just not right for PLG in the same way that a, like a Loom or Dropbox, for example, are. Do you see much of that? So yes and no, I would say given that our focus is again, mainly on the growth stage. And so for us, the sweet spot is the series C or D, at which point most companies have figured out what their go-to-market motion is going to be. And if they force fit themselves into a PLG model when they're not, the series A and B stage investors kind of rain and pull them back. So we don't (laughs) see as much of that on our stage, Um, but we do have portfolio companies figure out like, would it make sense for us to be a PLG company? And in in many cases, the answer is no, because your end users and your end customers are not well suited for that. Like if you're selling into, if you're an enterprise software company selling into the healthcare vertical, large hospital systems, you're not a PLG company. So let's not try to be one just because it's in trend and everyone seems to be doing it. But if you are a DevOps company, if you are a productivity and a collaboration company, um, then that absolutely should be a business model that you'd want to consider. And maybe it's right for you, maybe it isn't. But it's something that at least should be part of that decision-making process during those initial stages as you're figuring out the go-to-market motion. All right. So before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. Have you seen any companies run into not trouble's a strong word, but have a have a hard time transitioning from traditional enterprise sales to sales assist, right? Like product led with sales assist motion. And and if so or if not, like what where have you seen success and where have you seen failure points in making that jump? Yeah. So we actually do have companies that are in the midst of doing that. Um, and I would say the one of the critical things that's needed to make that successful is just the ease in getting the product up and running. If you have a product that historically is going to need implementation support or services support to get up and running, it's hard to just have that led by an inside sales motion or somebody to just pick up the phone and close the deal because you are going to need somebody more hands-on to get that customer up and running. So I would say the first basic need is to make sure that the product is a one-click deploy, can be up and running pretty quickly. There isn't much of a friction between getting that end user and the customer quickly onboarded on the product. Um, the second is on the uh, the sales motion itself. 
understanding who the end user or the end audience is going to be and how do you reach that customer through that insight sales or a sales assist process. And if you're selling, um, let's pick like a, a traditional um, enterprise, like ERP comes to, that's the first thing that comes to mind. If you're selling an ERP software, you're primarily selling into a CIO audience is not going to be a sales assist process. You're going to need someone that has the Rolodex and has like connections with the CXOs at the enterprise companies that they can call in and it's going to be a longer sales process versus if you're selling um, an Asana-like product, for example. It is something that people are would have tried already. There's a lot of word of mouth happening. Um, and a sales assist or a zero touch model works great um, in, in that situation. So it's understanding the end user and the end market. And if you're trying to switch out from a traditional sales process into that sales assist process, um, does that mean that your buyer persona changes as well? And if they do, I think going back to the drawing board and how is marketing helping you get to those right buying personas is going to be uh, critical to, to figure out before you change the sales model. Situations where we have seen that not work as well is, like I said, if the product has too much of complexity to get it up and running, um, it's not going to work. And then the second is where uh, there isn't enough emphasis on that uh, marketing awareness and that brand concept. And you kind of just expect people to show up and buy off your website or even worse, buy off a cloud marketplace. That also does not happen just because you're on the AWS marketplace doesn't mean that you're going to sell a lot. And so how do you then build that closed loop system between product marketing and sales to create that go-to-market engine? For that zero touch, zero assist model is is important. That's that's the holy grail. Z- forget sales assist; it's just z- zero assist. <laughs> um, very cool. So I, now I'm curious, just shifting gears as we wind down. I know you and I could talk PLG for for days. What keeps you energized? I mean, you're you've been in the game for a little while now. You've been very very successful, and and I'm sure you'll continue to you know reach new heights. What keeps you interested and engaged in the industry? Um, I would say that it's definitely um, a very humbling experience to be able to work with amazingly smart founders that are building products and are building companies that truly can change the world. I know it sounds like um, too high of an ambition, but um, if we take something as simple as, I mean, one of our companies in the healthcare space uh, provides a data interoperability platform with analytics and they're helping health systems and payers figure out who are the most at-risk patient population and how do you proactively ensure that they get the care that they need to keep them out of an ER or an ICU and you're literally saving patient lives as a result of the software that you're selling. We have other companies in the AIML space where again, it seems well, it's just an AIML software, but the end user applications of what gets created out of it helps literally transform industries and helps transform the way we work. And so I think it's it's definitely, I would say that I'm in a very fortunate position where I get to work with amazing founders who are building um, just wickedly smart products. And I get to be a part of that journey. So that definitely keeps me super excited. And I've always been passionate about tech. 
um, and to see what's the next big thing that's coming in enterprise tech or enterprise software and um, be able to be a part of that journey, again, is, is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited about enterprise being uh, kind of hot and sexy again and um, looking forward to the next decade of where enterprise software can take us. I love it. Well, Rashmi, this has been really fun. Thank you for nerding out with me on PLG and all things enterprise. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Elias. Talk soon again. Mm-hmm.